3: Well, good evening everyone. Welcome to Sportsbeat on 960 AM WSBT. As always, we are streaming live on your free WSBT radio app and also at WSBTradio.com. Beautiful sunshine in South Bend today. Hope you've enjoyed your Friday, February the 10th of 2023. It's not over yet. We've got couple of hours of Budweiser's weekday sports beat coming up here on WSBT Radio. Also tonight on the Midwest Family South Bend radio station group, we've got a couple of other sporting events you might be interested in. If you're into Indiana High School boys basketball, we've got the Mishawaka Cavemen trying to knock off the number one team in class 3A, the Northwood Panthers from the cave at Mishawaka High School. Cavemen have lost two in a row and are going to take on one of the two best teams in the state of Indiana. I think there's an argument for Marion. Northwood has an argument. Both are outstanding teams here in northern Indiana. The northwood Mishawaka game, you can catch it on our sister station, 96-1 the ton. Pre-game right around 7.05. Boy, do we have a Hall of Fame broadcast crew for that game. Tonight, I'm not sure how many victories between these two, but I would have to imagine it's got to be over 750 at least, maybe 800, if not a lot more. It's going to be the coach Ron Heklinski and the coach Pat King on the call on 96-1, the ton tonight. I hope they realize we're not going to be singing country songs. That we got a basketball game. They'll be locked in. They'll be ready to go for the Cavemen. And the Panthers tonight, 705 on 96-1 the ton. I've got the call of Notre Dame hockey tonight against the Ohio State University Buckeyes Final Home Series of the Year for the Notre Dame hockey team. And the Irish in an unfamiliar spot in sixth place in the Big Ten standings. And Notre Dame taking on a terrific Ohio State team that has one of the best power plays in the country. They also have a penalty kill unit that is off the chart good. They've got nine shorthanded goals this year. That leads the country. They're averaging almost a goal and a half more than Notre Dame this year. They're giving up fewer goals. So on paper, it looks like that Ohio State's the better team. and the standings, they're the better team. and the rankings, they're the better team. But let's see what happens tonight on the ice. Ohio State is just 7-7-1 on the road this year. The Irish at home. 9-4 Nine four and two, so it is the Irish and the Buckeyes first of two games at the Compton this weekend. You can hear tonight's game on the Notre Dame radio network. If you're outside the area, you can always get the stream by going to und.com. And right here in South Bend, the network is on Quality Rock ninety four three FM. game coverage at seven fifteen. Opening face-off somewhere between seven thirty and seven thirty five. I can tell you these two teams split a two-game series in Columbus back in November. The Irish lost game one 5-2, to two, won the second game one to nothing. Coming up on Sports Feet tonight, we've got our hat trick of opening topics, which includes an update on the Notre Dame football offensive coordinator search. Also, we've got a Twitter question of the day to get to. We'll talk about Super Bowl 57, a preview of Notre Dame hockey against Ohio State, including comments from Irish head coach, Jeff Jackson, we've got a little sports wagering talk to get to, some Super Bowl picks at our Sizzler segment in the 6 o'clock hour. And we're going to wrap up the program with my conversation from earlier in the week with Blue and Gold Illustrated's Notre Dame football beat reporter Tyler Horka as we talk all things Notre Dame football. So that's what we have between now and 7 o'clock on Sports Radio 960. WSBT. All right, 12 minutes after 5 o'clock, let's get started with our hat trick of opening topics, three sets of topics to get the program started. You know what? We're going to add kind of a mini bonus fourth topic at the end of the segment. Let's start with Notre Dame football. It is day seven of the Notre Dame offensive coordinator search. So where do we stand right now? Well, the latest information came earlier today from ESPN college football writer Heather Dinich, as she had a tweet earlier today that stated that Kansas State's Colin Klein is no longer interested in the Notre Dame offensive coordinator position. Now, Colin Klein's name surfaced in a football scoop report from John Bryce probably about 24 hours ago. According to Bryce, Colin Klein of Kansas State was in South Bend on Wednesday into Thursday before flying back to Kansas State. But he has decided to stay in Manhattan. Now, he's got a history with Kansas State. Was a terrific quarterback for the Wildcats. He has spent the past half dozen seasons on the coaching staff for multiple Head coaches, offensive coordinator this year for the Wildcat team that took down TCU for the Big 12 championship. So Klein has a a pretty decent history as an offensive coordinator leading that Kansas State team to the Big 12 championship before they got hammered by Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. So we hardly knew you, Colin Klein. He was on the radar a short period of time, but he says no thanks to Notre Dame, or you could say he is staying put at Kansas State. So, based on just media reports, it sure sounds like Klein was in South Bend and had a a pretty good interview with Marcus Freeman and the offensive coaching staff, but he's staying put. Now, Brian Johnson, the Philadelphia Eagles quarterback coach, apparently he was never truly a candidate. He mentioned during a Super Bowl media session this week down in Arizona, he doesn't know where these rumors started that he might be interested in Notre Dame. And he made it very clear, I'm not going to Notre Dame. So we can cross Colin Klein and Brian Johnson off the list. So what are we looking at right now on day seven of this offensive coordinator search? Well, the best we can come up with Right now, there is some speculation about Colorado's Sean Lewis. Now, according to John Bryce of Football Scoop, Lewis had the first in-depth interaction with the Irish coaching staff. Sources indicated to Bryce that Lewis not only spoke with Freeman, but also had interactions with the Notre Dame offensive staff. Now, Lewis... Played football at Wisconsin. Got the head coaching job at Kent State. Led them to a couple of bowl games. Recently accepted the offensive coordinator position at Colorado to work for Deion Sanders. Now, apparently, Lewis was a candidate to be the replacement at Cincinnati when Luke Fickle left the Bearcats for Wisconsin but they hired Scott Satterfield from Louisville. So let's keep that name in mind, Colorado's Sean Lewis. He has not even called one play yet for Colorado, but we'll throw him on the list right now as at least a possibility. And the other name that's been kicked around is Utah's Andy Ludwig. I spent a little time talking about Ludwig earlier this week. He has been an offensive coordinator for two decades. He has had great success in two stints at Utah as alma mater. Ludwig, the last three years since returning to Salt Lake City, has been a part of this Utah offense that has been putting up some big-time numbers. You give Utah a lot of credit. They beat USC twice last year. One time, Utah beat the Trojans on their home field, and then they knocked off USA, USC in Vegas for the Pac 12 championship. So, you like the fact that Ludwig knows how to beat USC as the Irish struggled with the Trojans last year. Is he a possibility? We'll have to wait and see, but at least an interesting name. So, Colin Klein of Kansas State reportedly is out. Sean Lewis, Andy Ludwig. Are there some mystery coaches that we don't know about at this time? Byron Lefwich, the Buccaneers' former offensive coordinator, has been mentioned, although I think that name has really cooled off since it was first mentioned. In fact, I think Lefwich's name got hotter than it needed to be for two reasons. A's won a Super Bowl as an offensive coordinator working with Tom Brady. They won that Super Bowl a couple of years ago on their home field beating Kansas City. And also, he was kind of the first name to get out there that might be in the conversation. So I think that possibly added a little extra heat to his name. But definitely, it sure seems like anyway, from the outside looking in, left Lefwich is on the back burner. So not much news right now from the standpoint of is Marcus Freeman getting close to naming his offensive coordinator? From outside the bubble, it's hard to say. We just don't see the progress right now on the outside looking into this particular situation. Again, I feel like Marcus is in good hands. He has an extremely knowledgeable person in Ron Paulus that is on the staff, former Notre Dame quarterback, great offense. He can kick ideas around with Ron. So I think Ron is a very, very good person for Marcus Freeman to throw ideas off of right now as he searches for his brand-new offensive coordinator. So we'll see where we go in this process, but on day seven, Tommy Reese's desk and chair is still looking for a new tenant right now. No one to report as of yet. Let's go to our second hat trick opening topic for tonight's program, just how impressive the Purdue Boilermakers are right now. Matt Painter, you could argue he and Tom Izzo are the best coaches in the Big Ten. Izzo's been a little down to his standard the last couple of years. Painter consistently has Purdue in position to win a Big Ten title, make a push for the tournament in the Final Four. They have not been able to get there. Of course, it's been, gosh, over 40 years now since the Boilermakers have been to the Final Four, but this seems like The best opportunity in quite some time. I mean, you've got something that nobody else has in 7-4, Zach Eady. No one can match up against him. Last night was kind of a quiet night for Eady. And I say quietly, very conservatively, because he still put up 14 points and 14 rebounds. But lately, he's a guy that you're not surprised if he doesn't put up 30 and 15. But last night... They didn't necessarily need him. The freshman guard play is just off the chart good. And you know what? As a Big Ten fan and someone who enjoys basketball in the Midwest, I so appreciate Matt Painter. From the standpoint, he's a guy that's not getting five-star players. He is getting that aren't necessarily the hot commodity. He gets players that fits his system and you look at this team the parts go together perfectly and you just can't say enough about the guards he brought in I knew they were telling the story last night during the broadcast that many thought Brendan Smith was going to be a good Mac player Matt Pater maybe went against the grain and brought Smith to a power five conference and it is paying off the freshman had a terrific night last night. A career-high 24 points. He also had four rebounds and five assists early in the game. Smith got going. The Boilermakers built a double-digit lead and had control of the game most of the night. Maybe there was a minute in the second half. Things got a little uneven, but Smith was fantastic, as was his buddy Fletcher Lawyer from Homestead. Lawyer, 17 points last night. 7 of 16 from the field, only 2 of 8 from 3. But the Boilermakers won 87-73. They didn't need Lawyer to hit all those 3s. They didn't need Edie to go for 30 because the Smith kid was the offensive player of the night. Against Indiana, I thought late in that ball game, or maybe throughout the second half, wasn't as aggressive wanting to shoot as he should have been. I don't know if they delivered a message to him, but he was a different player last night, pulling the trigger early and often. And Brendan Smith, 24 points, four rebounds, five assists. The Boilermakers shot 55% from the field, 10 of 27 from three. If there's anything the rest of the Big Ten and college basketball in general can take away from this game that might help them, Purdue struggled with Iowa's press last night. That's how Iowa got back into the game, forcing some turnovers, and they were scorching hot. 16 of 20 from the field to start the second half. Purdue ended the night with 17 turnovers, and at times were a little shaky against the press down the stretch. They got more organized. They figured it out. They got better. But that's something to put in your back pocket if you're an opposing team of Purdue trying to change the flow of the game, putting on that press, could be effective. Chris Murray, the Iowa stud, had 24 points last night, but not nearly enough. Purdue, down Iowa, 87-73. to 73. The Boilermakers have a really stranglehold on the regular season title. Boilermakers are 12-2. Then you've got three teams tied for second place at 8-5. Michigan, Rutgers, and Indiana. Northwestern also, I forgot one last night. They're also 8-5, so a four-way tie for second. Illinois sits at 7-5, and in the Illini welcome Rutgers to Shambana coming up tomorrow afternoon. So Rutgers, if they're not careful, can go from, what, a tie for second place to down around sixth place in the Big Ten standings. And if Illinois doesn't win, they're sitting there in a four-way tie for sixth with Michigan State, Iowa and Maryland. Next up for number one Purdue, they visit Northwestern in a tricky game in Evanston, that game Sunday at 2 o'clock. And our third and final hat trick of opening topics for tonight, the Notre Dame women's basketball team won, but it was rather uninspiring and concerning. The Irish are now 3 and 2 since Dara Mabry went down with a knee injury. She's lost for the season. Notre Dame on their home floor last night, beat Pittsburgh 69-63. The Panthers, the last place team of the ACC. They've now lost 11 of their last 12 games. And the Panthers had the lead at the end of the first quarter against this highly ranked Notre Dame basketball team. And Notre Dame could never pull away from this last place team. The Irish outscored Pitt in the fourth quarter, 22-17, to win by six. You look at some numbers that stand out. Notre Dame was 17 turnovers. They allow Pittsburgh to shoot 44% from the field, and Notre Dame from the free throw line was only 13 of 24. The good news Sonia Citron was solid, 20 points for the Irish, 3 of 8 from the three point line. Maddie Westfeld, 17 points, 10 rebounds. And Olivia Miles filled up the stat sheet, 11 points, 7 rebounds, and 13 assists. Notre Dame is now 19-4, sole possession of second place in the ACC after Florida State lost to Miami last night. The Irish are 10-3 in league play. And up next for the LIV team, they will host Syracuse Sunday at 4 o'clock. You can hear the game on Live 99.9, our sister station, with pregame coverage starting At 3:45, that's our hat trick of opening topics. I do have a bonus thought for you. There is an interesting NBA game tonight from a local standpoint. At 7 o'clock tonight, I'm not going to wow you with these numbers, but you'll see why I'm bringing this up in a second. At 7 o'clock tonight, it's the 14 and 41 San Antonio Spurs playing at the 14 and 42. Detroit Pistons in a very anticlimactic regular season game. But for local basketball fans, it is a cool opportunity to see two of our very own squaring off at the highest level, Blake Wesley and Jaden Ivey, on the floor together in an NBA game. Wesley, out of South Bend Riley, of course, played one year at Notre Dame. 11 games played this year with the Spurs averaging 4.5 points per game, shooting 44% from the field. Ivy from Marion, at least his first three years, went to Purdue. 52 games with the Pistons. Ivy is averaging 15.1 points per game, 3.9 rebounds, 4.5 assists, 42% from the field, and 33.8% from the three-point line. So... It's going to be very, very cool to see a couple of South Bend kids playing in the NBA tonight against each other, Blake Wesley and the San Antonio Spurs visiting Jaden Ivey and the Detroit Pistons. Your time is now 527 on this Friday evening. Darren Pritchett coming to you from Notre Dame's Compton Family Ice Arena coming up in just a moment. I'll get to our Twitter question of the day. Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960, WSBT.
1: This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960, WSBT.
3: 27 minutes in front of 6 o'clock. Welcome back to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on your home of the Fighting Irish and Super Bowl 57 on Sunday. Sports Radio 960 WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett from Notre Dame's Compton Family Ice Arena where Notre Dame hockey will take on the Ohio State Buckeyes in a Big Ten matchup at 7.30 tonight on Quality Rock. 94.3 FM, the Buckeyes ranked number seven in the country in my USCHO.com vote this week. I think I had Ohio State number eight in my poll, if I'm not mistaken. All right, our Twitter question of the day from yesterday. It's posted daily on my Twitter account at 960 Sportspeed. Thursday's question was, do any of these current college offensive coordinators seem like a good fit for the same position at Notre Dame? I gave you three names and an alternate choice. Choice number one, Utah's. Andy Ludwig, Washington's Ryan Grubb, Colorado's Sean Lewis. The alternate choice was, I need better names. Give me something else. Well, here's how the voting rolled out. A tie for third place, Washington's Ryan Grubb and Colorado's Sean Lewis both got 7% of the vote. Grubb's name is really quieted down now, I think. Not hearing much about him. He turned down Nick Saban in Alabama already. You've got Colorado's Sean Lewis, who I documented a couple of moments ago, the former Kent State head coach, former Wisconsin player, has not even called a play for Colorado yet, but his name is being kicked around right now. Football Scoop mentioned that Lewis had a, a pretty in-depth conversation with Marcus Freeman and the offensive coaching staff, but Lewis got 7% of the vote in our Twitter question of the day. Second place in the voting, 38%. Not impressed with the names I offered them. They would like to have some more names, need better names. And winning the vote from yesterday, Utah's Andy Ludwig, who has a very strong track record as a coordinator, he got 48% of the vote. So this is day seven of the coaching search for Marcus Freeman. And you, the public, says, or you, the public, basically threw out there that Andy Ludwig might be the the best of the choices that I offered yesterday. I'll spit it out, I promise. All right, now to today's question. It centers around the big game on Sunday, which you can hear on WSBT Radio, Eagles and Chiefs, 2 o'clock pregame, 6.30 opening kickoff. Today's question, which you can find on my Twitter account at 960SportsBeat, what is the right play for Super Bowl 57? We're using the spread, and you can choose the Eagles minus one and a half points or the Chiefs at plus one and a half points. I'll say this it is very difficult not to take Patrick Mahomes. And the points, probably the NFL's MVP this year, getting a point and a half seems like a pretty good play. But I don't know if I'm necessarily going to go that direction. So what do you think? What is the right play for Super Bowl 57? Eagles minus one and a half or Chiefs plus one and a half? I think it's going to be a terrific Super Bowl. I think we're going to have a great game. Going into the fourth quarter, I would be shocked if the game turns out like Buccaneers-Chiefs a couple of years ago where Tampa Bay blew out Mahomes and the Chiefs. I just don't think that's going to happen in this particular situation. I think we've got a tight ball game coming right down to the wire just like last year when the Rams took down the Bengals. So, we'd love to get your vote. You can check out our Twitter question of the day on my Twitter account at 960 Sportsbeat Budweiser's Weekday Sportspeed brought to you by Budweiser the King of Beers locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend sports fans this Spuds for you by Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger now with three locations to serve you Barnaby's the family Inn, by the Food Bank of Northern Indiana hunger is a story we can end find out how at feedindiana.org Midland Engineering Company beginning their second century of quality roofing experience The Mishawaka Education Foundation, granting a better future, and by Pet Refuge, urging you to adopt, don't shop for new beginnings, have happy endings. 538 is your time. More sports beat coming up in a moment on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. WSBT. It is 542 in your home of the fighting hours, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett from the Compton Family Ice Arena where tonight Notre Dame will take on the Ohio State Buckeyes. The game is available on Peacock, and of course I'll have the call on Quality Rock 94.3 FM. And the analyst on Peacock is Steve Conroy. He joins me here in the booth for a couple of moments. If you're a Blackhawk fan, that's probably a very familiar name from his playing days with the Blackhawks and also working in the media there long run of the NHL as a defenseman, and he's gracious enough to join me here on WSBT Radio. Well, first, Steve, it's great to have you as part of the Notre Dame hockey family this year calling Notre Dame Hockey Games with Tony Simeone. I hope you've enjoyed it. Darren, it's been great, and I must commend you because every once in a
4: while, well, not every once in a while, after every game, I bust out of here as quick as I can because I'm trying to beat the traffic, everyone Absolutely. pouring out of here. Yeah. And so I turn on the postgame show, and you do a fantastic job. And I I don't get to hear you during the game, but obviously post-game I do, and you do a fantastic job telling us what happened.
3: Well, I greatly appreciate that. If I had an agent, I would send that audio to them, and (laughs) I'd be worth millions. But, no, I, I really greatly appreciate that. Well, this has been kind of a strange Notre Dame hockey season. There's a lot of talent there. There's been injuries. There's just been a a very difficult schedule to navigate through. And the Irish right now, right around 500 going into the last couple of weeks of the Big Ten season. And we just had this conversation. You look at the line chart and you feel like this is still a team, despite where they are right now, that could make a run in the Big Ten tournament because there's a lot of proven guys on this roster. And because they have maybe one of the top goalies in the nation
4: and Ryan Bischel. And yep. as you well know, Darren, as, as, as well as any hockey fan, if you get great goaltending, you can really – you can know, go a heater, and you can surprise yeah. a lot of teams, and And Bischel's had that kind of year. I think he's faced more shots than any other goalie in the NCAA. He's, he's in top four or five save percentage, and I can just tell you from watching him during these home games, um, he's the best goalie I've seen this year. So you get a great goalie. I like their defense. Uh, could they sh- maybe score a little more? Yeah. I mean, I, I think scoring is the biggest issue with the Fighting Irish, but... If you get on a little bit of a roll and guys all of a sudden get a little more confidence and start scoring some goals, and uh, Landon Slaggart, you know, and he's been been getting hotter lately, which is a good sign, and you get those guys finishing the season feeling good about themselves, who knows what could happen in the postseason. And it just seems like, at least in the Big Ten, and I don't get to watch the rest of the league Mm -hmm. as much as you probably do, but in the Big Ten, anyone can beat anyone on any given night. So... You know what, you you get hot at the right time, and and Jeff Jackson talked about that, just peaking these last
3: four regular season games. Let's start peaking, and let's see
4: what we can do in the postseason.
3: I would love to get your analysis on Irish defenseman Nick Lieberman, you as a longtime defenseman, Mm -hmm. how he can impact the game, and I would like to know how much you think he has come along defensively because he was always known as an offensive defenseman, but I think he's taking care of the other end pretty well this year I agree and, and don't you see a lot of Spencer Stasny in him oh,
4: yeah. yeah yeah. you know and Spencer Stasny I, I believe is in Milwaukee now if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken I know he's drafted by the National Predators but he's one of those guys who could rush up the ice because he had such great speed make a great play and if it didn't work out he'd be one of the first guys back defending because that's how quick he was so uh, I, I I totally agree I think Nick's really improved uh away from the puck when he doesn't have the puck. When he has it, it, it's almost God-given ability. He just has that kind of talent. But when he doesn't have it, I think he's made a real conscious conscious effort to be better defensively, and I've seen that. And he's using his body. He's not the biggest guy in the world, but he uses his body. And because he can skate, it's amazing when you can move around on the ice and you're good positionally, how good a defenseman you can become. And
3: uh, that's exactly what what Nick Lieberman's done this year. Steve Conroy, former NHL defenseman, analyst for Notre Dame Hockey on Peacock, joining me here in the booth on WSBT Radio. Of course, we're in Blackhawks country, so I want to ask you about Landon Slaggart and Ryder Ralston, two guys mm-hmm. that are property of the Chicago Blackhawks as they go through a massive overhaul with, I know a couple of their key players are probably going to be traded very, very soon. What do you think the future is for Slagert and Ralston? What do you think the Hawks see in those two?
4: Well, they love their overall talent and, and listen, they're going to need some seasoning and that's probably going to come. Well, with Landon, he could stay and, and play another year at least of college hockey uh, and the same for Ryder too. So, uh, you know, they, they might have to play a year or two of the minors. Um, I think what they see are guys with huge talent, great speed. And, and that's what the NHL is all about now is it's about skating. So, you know, those guys can get around the ice uh, as well as anybody uh, in, in NCAA hockey um, I really like Ryder Ralston's shot. It reminds me a little bit of his dad, Brian Ralston, <laughs> who I played against uh, yeah. a little bit. Um, and I, I like I like the work work ethic, especially Landon Slager. You know, it, it's it's one thing to have skill, but when you can match that or marry that with with just a, an intense desire and a work ethic, uh, and that's you know what c- comes to mind for me is, is Jonathan Taves. I mean, he's got the skill most. You know, especially when he was in his prime, better skilled than most players, but he worked harder than anyone in the offseason, and that's what got him to the next level. So, um, yeah, I think those guys are going to be very valuable because they're fast, uh, they've got some, some offensive upside, and, you know, they're still growing. I mean, yeah. we sometimes forget that these are young men who, you know, maybe haven't reached their, their true potential as far as size and, and weight. So, um, you know, if, if, if both of them could put on another 10 or 15 pounds, I think it'll help.
3: I'd be curious to know what your route was in junior hockey. And second part of the question is how far along has college hockey come since you were a young guy developing as a hockey player? Because it sure seems like the NHL is full of college hockey players more than ever. Yeah, I think it's a much
4: uh, better breeding ground for NHLers now. And I think what general managers realize is we can draft these guys, we don't have to pay them right away, they're still our property. And they're not on our books, and they can develop, you know, at the amateur level. And as far as I was concerned, so I I played with the Oshawa Generals back in the late 70s, but I was on a schoolboy contract back then, and I could have opted to go and play NCAA hockey after my junior career was over. So I actually went and visited uh, Wisconsin. Oh, no kidding. Badger Bob Johnson brought me to Wisconsin. I visited Michigan State. Uh, Ron Mason was a head coach at Michigan State. Um, You know, both of those guys have have since – well, I know Badger Bob has. I think Ron yes. Mason passed away yes. also, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Um, but just great programs, great facilities at the time. Um, but I got drafted that summer by Cliff Fletcher, the Calgary Flames, and he said, Steve, play another year of junior hockey because if we want to call you up during the season, we wow. can. And they actually did. I, I got up for four games in 1981, early 81, played four games with the Flames. Um, my second game, my third game was at Madison Square Garden, believe it or not. <laughs> wow. So, you know, I'd, I'd never been to Manhattan, and it was just a just a phenomenal experience. But, um, you know, guys did like I. I so when I played in Calgary, um, we had guys like Jamie McCowan who played at Ohio State and Neil Sheehy who played at Harvard. So Calgary was very. I think they were on the front lines of bringing guys from college hockey. Joel Otto who played oh, yeah. at Bemidji. They were at the on the front lines as far as the NHL went of bringing guys up from from college hockey, um, and since then, as you mentioned, it's exploded. and And I'd like to know what the numbers are, but it's a huge percentage of guys who have played NCAA hockey are now in the NHL, and 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 not only just in the
3: NHL, but really thriving. Steve Conroy, I should mention also. You'll see him on the NHL Network nowadays ah, as well. Yeah. So I forgot to mention that. So since we're mentioning the NHL, let me name drop and. Give me uh, some analysis when I mention this player's name. We'll start with Anders Lee, who played here for Notre Dame, a captain, now with the New York Islanders. He's had a, a terrific career, and is there anyone more difficult to move in front of the net? Because his thighs are the, the size of tree trunks. I mean, he takes a beating, but it's hard to move him.
4: Yeah, who is it? Was it Eric Hyden, the great speed skater from the uh, early <laughs> yeah. 80s? Eric, He's got legs like Eric Hyden. You're absolutely wow. right, and, and and hard to move. and. Hey, listen. The Islanders have a new lease on life now with Bo Horvat in yep. the lineup, and I know they lost to Vancouver a couple of nights ago. Maybe it was last night, mm-hmm. but uh, Bo's Bo's going to help them. And I know they're on the outside looking in, but uh, Brock Nelson's had a real good year there. And you mentioned Anders Lee, uh, Anders Lee. They're going to be they're going to be good. Um, do they make the playoffs? I think they do just because they've got, and we talk about goaltending. Yeah. Sorokin there has been just lights out fantastic. Uh, he struggled a little bit his last game against Vancouver, but, uh, yeah, he, he's a good one. So, um, yeah, it, it's great to see Notre Dame alumni doing well, and there's a lot of
3: them. And Brian Rust, he's got a pretty good job being on Sidney Crosby's <laughs> line in Pittsburgh. <laughs> That's not always the easiest job in the world, though. You know, okay. it, It's funny. Um, yeah.
4: You, you ha- you can't defer to Sid. It's it, and and so many people want to do that. And of course, you mentioned I covered the Blackhawks. A lot of times, Jonathan and and Patrick Kane were were paired together. And whoever winger they put on that line, if it was a young guy, they'd always be trying to force feed the puck to the two superstars. And it's you know what you just got to you got to play your game. And that's what Brian Russ does. He's just playing his game. He's keeping it simple. He's going to the net. Uh, going to those hard areas, and and he's being rewarded for it. So you know, good for Brian because uh, it's not always it's not always an easy job.
3: Hmm. So what should Blackhawk fans expect over the next month? Because Jonathan Taves, Patrick Kane brought them the Stanley Cup banners. Such great play for so long. They're likely going to be moved at the deadline. Do you think the Hawks are going to get enough back where they're going to have some building blocks for the future? Well, maybe not from
4: Jonathan and Patrick Kane. And, you know, you're right, that both of them will probably be moved. Now, with Jonathan, it's a little more difficult because right now he's, he's missed almost a week of hockey. Yeah. And it's an undisclosed illness. He's not playing tonight. He won't play tomorrow night. So um, teams might be a little leery about going after him. But for Patrick Kane, you know, I know he's had some hip issues in the past, but, but he's a proven performer. Um I don't think they're going to get first-round pick in return for him, but Mm. could they get a second, possibly a late second, a third-round pick? Absolutely. But, you know, I I look at that team, and there's a bunch of other guys. Like Sam Lafferty's having a pretty – I believe it's Sam. Last name's Lafferty. we are having a real good year in Chicago. Um, He could be a guy. And and Max Domi, too, I think has surprised a lot of people. Uh, On a short-term deal, he might re-up with the Blackhawks, but if he doesn't, um, he could be a guy that a lot of teams would be interested in so yeah there'll be some movement there it's it's you know and I feel bad for Luke Richardson because boy he he outperformed what everyone thought was going to happen at the beginning of the year I think they won six of their first 10 games and that wasn't supposed to happen with the Blackhawks <laughs> so um, you know that they, they were trying to finish as poorly as they could because you know Connor Bedard is a generational player and 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 he is going to change a franchise whoever he ends up with but You know, we've seen Adam Fantilli, and Adam Fantilli will probably go second or third. He could very well change our franchise, too. So um, if you're in that top three, top four
3: spots of of the NHL in the next draft, um, you're going to get a real good one. Wow. One final question for you, and I probably buried the most important question. I'd forgotten you played for the Hartford Whalers. Yes. You still have to have a, a Whaler sweater. The most popular sweater right. maybe in NHL history. Do you still have one? I do. My son wears it all
4: the time. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> um, we call it – it's funny because I play with Jeff Sanderson. And Jake Sanderson, oh, yeah. his son, who plays in Ottawa – I want to say he played at North Dakota. Did yes, he did. He did. Yeah. Okay, so Jake yeah. played at North Dakota. So Jeff used to call him the Stinky Whale. <laughs> uh, that, that's who the Hartford Whalers were. We were the Stinky Whale. And Brass Bonanza. If you've never heard it, oh, Google yes. it. Look it up. It's uh, they, they played that before every game, and I think after most goals. Um, but I had a great time in Hartford. It was a lot of fun. Great fans, and I agree. I think it's the best retro jersey out there. Uh, I know it breaks the hearts of. Uh, Hartford Whaler fans when Carolina puts those jerseys on yeah. down in Carolina because that's where the team ended up. Um, but yeah, fond memories of, of, of Hartford and uh, yeah,
3: go whale. Yeah, my dad bought a satellite dish and he taught me hockey in the 80s. So he was stationed in the Navy in Boston. So he was mm-hmm. a Bruin fan. He taught me to be a Bruin fan. And mm-hmm. I remember the Bruins and the Whalers then, Pat Verbeek, oh, Ron yeah. Francis, yeah. Ulf Samuelson. I mean, sure. There's, there were some battles there in the old. The old Adams division, I had to think for a second. Those were the old days, Montreal, Quebec, Buffalo, Boston. I mean, that was kind of a glory time in hockey, I thought. It really was. And, I mean, you, know, you mentioned some of those guys, and, and
4: they're in the Hall of Fame. And, and, you know, Sean Burke was a goaltender when yeah. I was there. And uh, Randy Latticer, Zarly Zalapsky. Zarly Zalapsky. <laughs> <laughs> so we could go on and on. There was so many great – and Jeff Sanderson, too, who yeah. at that time was one of the fastest players in the league. But uh, I could go on and on with the guys that we played with. But, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was fun times. And, um, and it's funny because those – th- that rival. so we used to bust to, to Boston because it was so, so close. Yeah. That was a really intense rivalry and and all those Adams Division games oh. were rivalries as you know and I played in 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 Calgary and it was the Smythe Division and we had a you know Edmonton oh and Vancouver boy. and then of course the Norris Division and we called it the Chuck Norris Division because it was St. <laughs> Louis <laughs> and Chicago <laughs> and Toronto and Detroit and I mean they all had tough 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 guys on the team so um, yeah, it, it, those were fun times. I
3: miss the old playoffs where you started in the division because yeah. those Adams division, yeah. seven game series were yeah. absolute wars and it's a shame Detroit and Chicago aren't in the same division anymore. I miss I that. I totally agree. I to- it's a shame. Two
4: original six teams, they
3: should be. Steve, thanks for doing this. Hey Darren, anytime. Pleasure to get to know you this year. Yeah. Great job on the Peacock Network with Tony Simeone, have a great call tonight. Thanks, you too. All right, thank you. Steve Conroy, former Blackhawk defenseman. You can catch him on Peacock and the NHL Network, 557. Sports update coming up in a moment on WSBT. You can listen to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat live
1: or on demand with our free WSBT radio app. Just search WSBT Radio in the App Store and Google Play. Now, back to local sports talk on Sports Beat with your host, Darren Pritchett.
3: We move now into the six o'clock hour. A Budweiser's weekday sports feed on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. The Fighting Irish hockey team playing right here at the Compton Family Ice Arena tonight, 7:30 faceoff against the Ohio State Buckeyes. Well, for the Notre Dame hockey team, they are in a very unfamiliar position. They currently sit in sixth place in the Big Ten standings with. For Notre Dame, four games remaining, several teams in the Big Ten. They have six games remaining, so Notre Dame in a very difficult spot. They would like to be in at least fourth place at the end of the regular season to host a Big Ten tournament best-of-three quarterfinal. And for Notre Dame to have a chance to do that, they have to take care of two teams that are honestly two of the best in the country right now. You look at the Parawise. Notre Dame will host Ohio State this weekend. The Buckeyes are 17, 10, and 1. They are number 8 in the Parawise. And then next weekend, the Irish are idle before, then visiting the Michigan Wolverines, the final regular season series of the year. Michigan is 18-9-1, and, and they are number four in the Parawise. For Notre Dame, only 26 points through 20 games in Big Ten play. That is four points behind. The four teams tied for second place with 30 points. Michigan and Ohio State have played two less games than the Irish. Penn State and Michigan State have played the same number. So as you can see, not only do the Irish have to jump two teams, they'll have to try to jump two of the teams that have more games to play, plus the Irish have to face two top eight teams to finish the regular season. So you kind of... See what I'm saying here. Notre Dame probably is on the road for the Big Ten tournament quarterfinal. That would only be the second time that's happened. If they finish sixth place, it would be the worst finish that Notre Dame has had since joining the Big Ten Conference. Now, the Irish split. Two games with Ohio State earlier this year in Columbus, including a 1-0 game in Game 2. Jack Adams scored in the first three minutes of the game. The goal held up behind the shutout from Ryan Bischel. Now, Notre Dame lacking any momentum coming into this series against Ohio State as the Fighting Irish were swept in East Lansing by Michigan State. And the Fighting Irish had not lost... Two games in a row in a series to Michigan State since 2006. But the Spartans picked up victories 2-0 and 3-2. Notre Dame playing the last two games without their leading scorer. Ryder Ralston with an upper body injury. And last weekend, Trevor Janicki got dinged up. We'll see if he can go tonight. If those two can't go, that's a lot of offense out of the Notre Dame lineup. Taking on Ohio State, team that averages over three goals per game fighting Irish head coach Jeff Jackson, his thoughts on taking on the Buckeyes this weekend.
5: You know, I think that the biggest thing is just uh, responding from the the last weekend. uh, We just keep working on things to generate five on five scoring chances uh, because that's been the thing that's haunted us pretty much all season long. The inability to finish um, whether it be five on five or even on the power play at times. So, you know, I think that's been the focal point. Ohio State, you know, uh, another top-ten team that, uh, that's got good depth on the back end up front, uh, good goaltending. So they're a pretty well-balanced hockey team. Um, big challenge is, you know, their penalty, I think, top one in the country. So, you know, we'll, we'll have our hands full for sure, you know, but we need to recover and respond from last weekend. I mean, <laughs> you know, we, we, should, we probably should have had a, a better outcome on Saturday, but um, – you know, again, we found a way to take a penalty and shoot ourselves in the foot in in that uh, Saturday game.
3: Well, the Fighting Irish have gotten some really good play recently out of sophomore forward Justin Janicki. Now, a moment ago I mentioned Trevor Janicki. Trevor, the senior forward for the Fighting Irish and the older brother of Justin Janicki, who came through the U.S. developmental program, joined the Fighting Irish last year, and his offense has been picking up over the last month. Here's Fighting Irish head coach Jeff Jackson on the recent play of Justin Janicki. Well,
5: you know, we're, we were hoping that he would develop into a more of an offensive threat. I mean, he was in his first year at the national team program, and then the second year he got, got injured a bit, and then he ended up being more of a depth guy for them and got kind of put into a more of a defensive role. So when we brought him in, I mean, it was really important that we tried to get his offensive confidence back so he could be a contributor offensively because he's got the skill set. Um, he's got the speed. Um, the, the the key thing for him is to continue to work and develop his body so he can be strong enough to to handle confrontational situations. And for me, the biggest thing for him even this year is just uh, he's got to find a way to be consistent and play at the same level every night. But he certainly has, you know, taken an impact because we you know we he, he's he's started the year third fourth line and he eventually moved up to one of our top two lines and. You know, I think uh, he I thought for a while there he really fell into that top two line role and, and did it really well but then he's had some ups and downs since then where he's just you know he's not as dialed in every night. For him it's being focused and intense on a, a, day, a game by game basis and you know when he is like he could be an ex, you know he could be a, a difference maker for us but he's got to show the ability to do it on a nightly basis.
3: Well, it's the final home series of the year for the Fighting Irish, which means tomorrow night will be senior night. All of the seniors and grad students will be honored. Coach Jackson spent a little time this week reminiscing about these players and what they have meant to this Fighting Irish hockey program.
5: Well, I mean, first and foremost, I mean, the guys that have been here with us for four years, you know, uh, you know, we don't have a huge class there. Um, but, you know, starting with our goaltender, Ryan Bishel, I mean, he's done uh, a great job for us here over the last four years. You know, he didn't play regular until this past year. And, um, you know, he, he's handled himself very professionally and he's gotten better and better, which is, you know, credit to him. Um, but you know, the, the, the two, the two forwards specifically, um, uh Solid Backish Bakish and Jesse Lansdell have been, you know, tenacious, hardworking, physical uh, players for us that, that have given us some timely goals at times, but you know, their game is about compete and, and, and playing a physical game, something that we lacked when we brought them in and they've, you know, fulfilled that. And again, they've been, they've been good, good players for us, but they've also been good people. And, you know, I think that, uh, you know, then, Trevor Janicki has, you know, developed into more of a power type forward as well, but probably a little bit more uh, offensive uh, potential from Trevor. And you know, he's a legacy. You know, with his dad and then his brother being here. Um, you know, he's been a you know a class class act. You know, his entire time here and rock star in the st- in the classroom. Um, you know, one of our captains. You know, he certainly done a tremendous job for, for us. The grad students vary. I mean, because, you know, we have the two that have been here for two years, Jack Adams and and uh, Chase Blackland, both tremendous young men, uh, great kids. You know, it's nice. It's good that they're, you know, we're, we're in the end of their second year here. And last year they were in and out contributing wise. This year they've been more in the lineup on a regular basis and contributing bigger, uh, bigger uh, minutes and uh, for me, it's it's more about the people than it is the hockey players. And, you know, Chase is a, a classy kid, uh, does things the right way, great in the classroom, you know, just a good citizen. Uh, and Jack, you know, everybody knows Jack's story and all the things that he's gone through and persevered and just a, a great, great kid. Um, you know, the other, the other three more recent grads, um, you know, I think they've also filled in um, – from a cultural standpoint, they haven't missed the beat with our team and our program. So, you know, Ben Brinkman is a kid that we recruited before he went to Minnesota. And obviously he ended up here and just a, a, a real good kid that's finally getting an opportunity to play more than, you know, than he did at Minnesota, you know, being a five, six, or five, six guy pretty much his whole career. Um, and then, you know, Chase Primo, you know, he's been a good contributor offensively for us this year. Uh, I like his game, but, I mean, he's a really good student of the game. Like I said, probably, you know, because of his history, you know, following his dad around, uh, kind of like Ryder Ralston, just being in that pro environment his whole life. Um, but Chase is a, you know, is a really high-quality guy. I love the fact that he's very coachable and, you know, he's very attentive to details of the game. And, you know, he's given us a little boost on face-offs with the loss of Pavanka last year. Um, but he's been a, he's been a good player for us, but again, just a real quality person and Jackson Pearson, another one, a little quieter than the rest. Uh, but again, a really, um, committed and diligent young man, uh, knows where he wants to go knows what he knows, what he needs to do to develop as a player and as a person. And, you know, I think that, you know, he's, he's had a, a different type of an impact with some of our younger guys, just because he's probably a pretty good guy to watch and in, in how he approaches the game and uh, and I, I would say the same thing probably applies to to chase as well but you know all, you know all the all of uh, the seniors and the grad students have you know they've contributed to our program some more than others uh, in, in duration but they've all been really good you know for the culture and especially with the the guys coming from other programs you, you always worry about them uh, maybe interfering with your culture but it, that's been the exact opposite case. I think they've kind of brought fresh per- perspectives from where they came from, and, and been more positives than anything else.
1: And then, of course, Nick Leverman, too. You're gonna—he'll be playing.
5: Our captain. Um, you know, Nick. Nick has grown a lot as a young man. Um, you know, he, he's always been a talent as far as his offensive ability as a defenseman, uh, but he's very uh studious i mean he's a he's an interesting type of a leader he's different than a lot of guys that we've had here in the past he's very uh business like in his approach um i i think that probably speaks to his maturity but you know nick is uh again another quality guy that he has his head on straight or he wouldn't be captain i mean he just knows how to handle specific situations and he's been good about communicating and you know, asking me questions or asking other people questions just about, you know, the best way to, uh, to, to deal with situations as a leader and you know, the best ways to help lead in a, in a positive direction. But Nikki, another, you know, high quality individual and character kid that, you know, has been a real positive member of our, our program for the last five years.
3: That's Fighting Irish head coach Jeff Jackson talking about the players who will be playing at the Compton for likely a final time tonight and tomorrow. Notre Dame-Ohio State, the matchup at the Compton Family Ice Arena tonight. You can hear the game on Quality Rock, 94.3 FM. We'll have the pregame at 7.15, opening faceoff right around 7.30, and then we'll try it again tomorrow night at 6 o'clock. Coming up in just a moment, we've got a little sizzler on the way. Then we have some Notre Dame football conversation coming up as Budweiser's Weekday Sports Bee continues on this Friday on your home of the Fighting Irish and Super Bowl 57 coming up Sunday starting at 2 o'clock. Sports Radio 960, WSBT streaming live at WSBTRadio.com and on our free WSBT Radio.
0: Meet him <laughs> we go, with we go
3: with Welcome back to Budweiser's weekday sports Speed. I'm Darren Pritchett. Sports wagering conversation is up next. Let's recap my four suggestions from last night. It was a two and two night. We'll start with the matchup in the Big Ten from Mackey Arena. Iowa visiting number one Purdue. I felt like Iowa's offense could keep up with the Boilermakers, maybe keep it close. But Iowa started off cold in this game. Credit to the Boilermaker defense. So I took Iowa plus eight at Purdue at minus 110. <laughs> Iowa got under that number for a very short amount of time in the second half, but ultimately lost 87 to 73, a 14 point defeat but we evened our record with our first-ever wager in a women's college basketball game on this show. It was Pittsburgh at Notre Dame. The fighting hours were favored by 21.5 points at minus 110. I took Pittsburgh plus 21.5 because the Panthers won in 10 in their last 11 of the 10 losses, 9 were by less than 21 points, and Notre Dame has not been dominant recently. Whether it's coincidence or not, since Darren Mabry went out, also Lauren Ebo has missed four consecutive games. So I took Pittsburgh plus 21 and a half. Panthers led after one, that was a good sign, and the Irish had to pull away in the fourth quarter. Kind of surprising. They won 66-61, but Pittsburgh plus 21 and a half was the right play. To the NBA last night, the Nets' Ben Simmons taking on the Bulls. I took Simmons under 7.5 points at minus 140. He averages 7.2. He's been under 7.5 and, and 4 of 5. He had 7 points against the Bulls in the first meeting. What could go wrong? He already had 8 points in the third quarter. I was so frustrated, I didn't even look to see how many he finished with. If he finished with 8, I would probably feel worse. But a rare night where Simmons shot and actually made it cost us there. But we ended up 2-2 because from the National Hockey League, I went with the Devils on the money line against the Kraken at minus 135. And the Devils scored twice in the third to beat Seattle 3-1. So 2-2 for the night, 7-9 for the week, 13-11 for February, and for the year so far, 47-40-2. Let's get to some picks for Super Bowl 57. I'm going with five selections today. We'll start... With the main wagering choice, Eagles minus one and a half against Kansas City, a very tight Super Bowl expected. I'm going with the Eagles minus one and a half based on how good their offensive line and defensive line has been all season long. When a game is close, I look at the quarterbacks, I look at the lines. The quarterbacks do things in different ways. Patrick Mahomes is the better quarterback, but Jalen Hurts can hurt you with his legs as well as his arm. His passing has come a long way. And I question whether the Chiefs will be able to slow down that Eagles rushing attack. So I'm going Eagles minus one and a half at minus 110. Also from Super Bowl 57, I'm going over 51 total points in the game. I think it's going to be... A 31 24, 31 27 type game, so I'm going over 51 total points. The Chiefs have to get the ball to Travis Kelsey in this game. I think they're gonna be playing from behind, so they're gonna have to throw it. So I'm gonna go with a Travis Kelsey anytime touchdown at minus 135. Our fourth of five suggestions from Super Bowl 57. This next one is a player, plop, player prop, excuse me, and it may flop. And he's a reserve player for the Philadelphia Eagles, but I think he will impact the game. Kenneth Gainwell has been very important to Philadelphia. The last two playoff games, their backup running back. I'm going to say Gainwell will gain well in this game on the ground. I've got Kenneth over 19 and a half rushing yards at minus 130. And my fifth and final suggestion for Super Bowl 57, Eagles wide receiver Devontae Smith over 62.5 receiving yards. I think there are so many weapons on this Philadelphia team you have to worry about, including A.J. Brown. I think Devontae Smith has a breakout game over 62.5 receiving yards at minus 125. So my five props for Super Bowl 57, Eagles minus one and a half, over 51 total points, and anytime touchdown by Travis Kelsey. the Eagles running back Kenneth Gainwell over 19 and a half rushing yards, and Devontae Smith, the Eagle wide receiver, over 62 and a half receiving yards. Well, this week I caught up with Blue and Gold Illustrateds Notre Dame football beat reporter Tyler Horka to talk about the ending of the Tommy Reese era as offensive coordinator at Notre Dame, and what's next for Marcus Freeman. You'll hear that conversation coming up next. Budweiser's weekday sports beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Budweiser's weekday sports beat continues on this Wednesday evening. It is Wednesday. That means we talk Notre Dame football with my colleague from Blue and Gold Illustrated. He is the Notre Dame football beat reporter, Tyler Horka. You can read all his work at blueandgold.com. And things are heating up, of course, with Tommy Reese becoming Tuscaloosa Tommy last week, taking the Alabama offensive coordinator position. And now a month away from spring practice, Marcus Freeman is looking for a new offensive coordinator. So let's start things off, Tyler, by kind of recapping the Tommy Reese era as offensive coordinator. At the University of Notre Dame, if you were to write a biography on the life and times of Tommy Reese, the chapter on Reese being the Irish offensive coordinator, what do you think it w- it would include?
2: Well, I think it's got to start with Ian Book, and as much as uh, a, of a polarizing figure that he is uh, are among some Notre Dame fans, some love him, some say that maybe he held the offense back a little bit. That is the guy who's won more games as a starting quarterback for the University of Notre Dame than anybody else who's ever played. And there's been some really good ones, obviously, if you go through the the list of names dating all the way back decades ago. So it starts there. And I know Tommy Reese technically didn't even recruit Ian Book. He kind of inherited him. But uh, you talk about offensive coordinators and offensive coaches, and you always talk about development. And I am of the thinking that, Notre Dame got as much out of Ian Book as they could have. I mean, this is a guy that's still in the NFL. This is a guy who's in Phoenix right now on a roster that's playing for the Super Bowl with the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday. So there's something to be said for that. I think the Ian Book era at Notre Dame was uh, a pretty good one, all things considered, considering that he's, you know, six foot with the bump on his head type of guy and uh, was able to do a lot of really good things. And I think Tommy Reese was a part of that. You know, they were kind of lockstep all of the way. So it starts there. And then obviously the last couple of years, maybe it it ends with Notre Dame fans wanting a little bit more out of Tommy Reese. But again, uh, this is a guy that I think four different starting quarterbacks have have started for Tommy Reese in the last three years. And that's quite a bit. There's not a whole lot of uh, continuity there. Had he would have stayed, he would have had Sam Hartman for one year, presumably, and then he would have needed another guy. So the the continuity would have been uh, nowhere to be found going forward as well. But Uh, All of that to say that this this conversation, everything that I just said, a lot of ups and some downs as well. So uh, he had the best tight end that's ever played for a university that likes to call itself tight end university. Michael Mayer was incredible the last three years, really the last two years, uh, just phenomenal, probably the best tight end in in college football over that span. So uh, again, a lot of highs, a lot of lows, but there was always just, some element of, uh, you know, something to be desired, just a lack of complete prolific offense. And that was, you know, true in the numbers that he had. I mean, it was 30s and 40s pretty much all the time in total offense, scoring offense, and it it felt like he could never get to that next top. Now, would that have happened with Sam Hartman? I I think a lot of people were thinking so, but uh, as our conversation shifts here, that's going to have to happen under a different offensive coordinator at Notre Dame.
3: I have a feeling that numbers, the numbers you were talking about were going to jump, mainly because Marcus Freeman's now in charge of recruiting, and that's going to help Tommy Reese had he stayed. But he's now working for Nick Saban, which leads us to this. Tyler, you've been a part of pretty much all of Marcus Freeman's press conferences, maybe the exception of a couple of road trips you didn't go on, but you listen to those press conferences. Do you have a read from listening to Marcus Freeman talking offense in those press conferences? Does that lead you down to a path, what he's looking for in his new offensive coordinator?
2: Well, I don't know how much has changed in a year, but, I mean, you got to remember, you go back to this time last year, maybe maybe a couple months before, even a month before, say January of 2022, when he was really doing the bulk of his hiring. I mean, he had hire a wide receivers coach, a running backs coach, tight ends coach, a defensive coordinator. And I would look at the defensive coordinator hire maybe to kind of suggest where he wants to go with this one. I think he's looking for someone who's pretty experienced. I mean, he went and got Al Golden, a guy who's in his 50s, a guy who's been in college ball, has been in pro ball, obviously came back to the the college ranks straight from the NFL. Talk about another guy who was playing for a Super Bowl or coaching for a Super Bowl at this time last year. That was Al Golden. I think you can learn a lot from what Marcus Freeman did with that hire in trying to find who he's going to hire this time. I don't think it's going to be, um, you know, a 20 or 30 something year old offensive coordinator who has really only had one type of breakout and, and he's on the radar for that reason. I think it's going to be a guy who's been around the block a little bit, maybe has been to both pro and college ball, but but a guy who's seen a lot of things. And there's definitely some names that we're going to get to here in a minute that uh, kind of exemplify what Freeman is looking for. there a guy that's, who's done a lot of things, just like Al Golden had done a lot of things, both collegiately and in the professional ranks. So uh, we're talking about a 36-year-old head coach in Marcus Freeman. And I know Tommy Reese was only 30 years old, but uh, Brian Kelly really expedited his timeline in in the coaching ranks when he handed him the keys to the Notre Dame offense at 27 years old. Kind of unprecedented in a way, but uh, he he was an in-house guy. I mean, Tommy Reese was Notre Dame through and through. We're we're talking about a guy who's 30 years old and 10 of his 10 of the years of his life have been spent in South Bend either as a player for four years and then as an assistant coach for six years. So it made sense to appoint the young guy in that case. I don't know if it makes a whole lot of sense given that Marcus Freeman is in his second year as a head coach. He's still figuring things out. I mean, we're only four or five months, maybe less than that, removed from him in a press conference. You mentioned these press conferences there, and I vividly remember one when he said, Yeah, if you go back to Ohio State and you go back to Marshall and we were 0-2, I didn't really know what I was doing. I mean, those were his exact words almost, verbatim. So I think he's going to get a guy at the offensive coordinator position who knows what he's doing.
3: Tyler Horkin, Notre Dame football beat reporter, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com, my guest here on WSBT Radio. You've seen a lot of names kicked around on social media. Is there a name or two that intrigues you?
2: Yeah, originally, and this is a name that's kind of been phased out in a way, but I really liked Kevin Johns from Duke just because he's a guy that has seen Sam Hartman up close and personal for I'm not sure how long Johns has been at Duke, but definitely last year the two played each other and they played to a pretty high-scoring ball game. I think Duke won 34-31, to 31, so he's seen Sam Hartman. He's familiar with Sam Hartman. I think that those two will probably get along pretty well. Maybe they didn't in the last couple of years when they were part of a rivalry, but you see – guys cross over and, you know, become best friends of, with people that they played against, rooted against so hard for years. So I thought he was a really interesting name, but, you know, some of the other um, pretty much all of these names that come up have been interesting. Uh, Byron left, which is certainly interesting. I wrote a column at blue and this week saying, I'm not sure if that's the guy for Notre Dame, considering he was just fired somewhat ungracefully, from tampa bay and they had the biggest disparity in run pass in the nfl the tampa bay bucks did under brian Lefwich. they threw the most passes attempted the most passes and not not a bad thing when you have the greatest of all time but that the greatest of all time tom brady was 45 years old throwing over 700 passes i think he set a career high for pass attempts and then they ran the ball the fewest amount of times in the national football league and some of that is because the offensive line wasn't so great The, the running back stable wasn't very good but at some point you, you got to run the ball a little bit. So I'm not sure Brian Leftwich is the guy, but it, it sounds like he's getting a look. And then you have a guy with the Eagles right now, Brian Johnson, who, who's being floated out there. And I think all of these names are interesting. Uh, they're, they're somewhat experienced. Some of them are a little younger. I mean, Brian Leftwich is pretty young. I think he's 43 years old and only really got into coaching about six or seven years ago. So uh, there's a lot of different ways that Marcus Freeman could go with this, but. Uh, that, that crossover between NFL and college seems to be there with, with a lot of these names. Uh, Joe Brady is another one of those college NFL guys who obviously won the national championship as LSU's passing game coordinator a, a couple of years ago, but he's been in the NFL for the last three years and most recently with the Bills, and you know that's mentoring Josh Allen, who's probably the second-best quarterback, you know, definitely top five in the league. So uh, to answer your question in a short Way absolutely. A, a lot of these names are intriguing, but I, I think it's going to maybe take uh, a week, uh, at least a few more days, for Marcus Freeman and his staff to kind of hash out the pros and cons of these guys. Because, uh, like Leftwich, a lot of these guys who who are um, in the conversation to maybe take this job, it's not like they're all slam dunk hires. They all have a little bit of baggage, and maybe they've messed up, uh, you know, in, in terms of coaching somewhere along the line. So. Freeman's just going to have to figure out which one of these guys is the best fit. Hmm.
3: Tyler Horkum, my guest, from Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. We're on February 8th. Obviously, this isn't the greatest situation. You're looking for a coordinator this close to spring football. But, Tyler – This is Notre Dame, and this is a position that so many people across the country I think would drop everything to come acquire, even though, yeah, it is a disadvantage to have to try to hire now compared to maybe December the 8th. But do you still feel like that Notre Dame brand will still help Marcus Freeman get a top candidate in to take this job?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think, in a way, it's almost uh, a blessing in
3: disguise for Notre Dame to be
2: really the only big time high profile program that's looking to fill a high profile job. I mean, we're talking about the offensive coordinator. uh, That's, you know, if if the head coach is number one, most important position on the staff, then this is one a or one B and the other one of those is the defensive coordinator. So we're talking about a really important job at a really important institution because I don't care if Notre Dame just went nine and four and was nowhere close to making the college football playoff Notre Dame's showing up on ESPN every single week of, of the season. Notre Dame's showing up on ESPN in February sometimes, especially when something like this is happening. So I would not be shocked if someone that just took another job, uh, one name that comes to mind, and I, I mentioned him mm-hmm. on our blueandgold.com message board today when I was doing my Hey Horcus segment, was if you could reach out to anybody, make one phone call, who would you go after? And I, I, didn't, I probably should have spent a little more time uh, thinking about this question, but a, a name that popped into my head, who's been one of the best offensive coordinators of the last three to five years is Phil Longo. And he just took a job, went from North Carolina to Wisconsin, obviously to team up with Luke Fickle there. And, and that's a really stable, awesome job. I think Wisconsin is doing awesome on the recruiting trail right away. I think the Badgers are going to be really good and be a force in the big 10 in a way that they haven't the last couple of years. But if Notre Dame called, I mean, if you're Phil Longo, you're taking that call. I don't care if you just signed the papers and they're still sitting on your desk and they have to go through the fax machine or something. You're <laughs> going to take that call because it's Notre Dame. And, again, I don't know if that's what uh, Marcus Freeman wants to do. Phil Longo's uh, a little hard-headed, but, man, can he run offense? And we've seen that at Notre Dame both times that they played North Carolina the last couple of years. Uh, he he was uh, he, uh, Sam Howe was awesome under Phil Longo's direction, and then obviously Drake May was awesome under Phil Longo's direction as well. So that's just one example of, I think, Notre Dame being in a position where I don't care if these people just sign their papers, they're with their new program, they're happy. They can go and pretty much net, snag anybody they want. Now, has Notre Dame been the big, bad offensive team uh, that you see in college football the last 10 years? No, but they're trying to get there. And I think like you mentioned, Darren, with the way that Marcus Freeman can recruit, and the way this whole staff is recruiting right now, I mean, Chancey Stuckey is bringing in some really good wide receivers. You're going to see four of them, true freshmen this year for Notre Dame. If you're a quarterback, if you're an offensive coordinator, I think you want to team up with guys like that. And I think in the next five years, if, if Notre Dame makes the right hire and goes out and you know reels in a big fish, if you will, with this hire, then there's no reason why Notre Dame can't be a really good offensive team under this coaching staff.
3: Tyler, finally, I know you can't believe everything that is on social media, but I'll say this, considering the timing of the tweet and the video, it sure seems like new quarterback Sam Hartman is all in on Notre Dame, despite the fact his offensive coordinator left for Alabama.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I actually talked to a couple people who are in his inner circle. And when I say inner circle, really close to him. I don't want to drop names, but sure. as soon as it happens, that's what you have to do as reporters is trying to get those people uh, on the line via text, via phone call, whatever it is, and say, Hey, what's the situation here? And I trust both of these people because they know Sam really well. And they said, yeah, he's locked in. He didn't commit to Notre Dame for one guy, that guy being Tommy Reese. He didn't even commit to Notre Dame for one guy, that being Marcus Freeman. He committed and signed with and is enrolled at Notre Dame right now to play his last year of college eligibility as a fighting Irish football player. And I, I think the timing of his tweet was awesome. It felt like the dust was kind of, kind of settling. I mean, it was a Friday <laughs> news dump with, with Tommy Reese. Let, let's call it like it was. I think it was Friday afternoon. That comes out. All the outlets write their stories, write some analysis. I think people had enough time to read them. They're, they're trying to settle in for their Friday night, whatever that was. You're staying in. You're going out. It, it was right about the time where people are making those decisions, and bam, it hits. I think it was like 6.37, maybe even 8 o'clock. And I think that kind of woke up the the story again and said, whoa, this guy's for real. He's at Notre Dame. Because you have to remember, if you go back five days ago to when this happened, I think that's the question that everyone was asking. And really, I guess the day before it was official, when everyone was uh, just reporting it and you know nothing official had been said yet, everyone was asking, what's Sam Hartman going to do? Is there a chance that he goes to Alabama or or just leaves Notre Dame because he doesn't want to be there without Tommy Reese. We had this conversation, Darren, Mm -hmm. uh, off the air. And I think a a lot of different people in South Bend across the country were having that same conversation. I just like the way that he emphatically answered it on Friday night, right after the news had come out for real, that Tommy Reese was gone. He came out with a statement saying, Hey, I'm at Notre Dame. I'm going to be at Notre Dame. And I think it, uh, it made a lot of people feel better about kind of the craziness of the news cycle that happened those couple of days.
3: I don't mean this in a mean way, but Notre Dame is bigger than Tommy Reese, and Sam Hartman understands that, <laughs> to say the least. Hey, Tyler, you've Absolutely. got you've got a lot of things happening at Blue and Gold right now. In fact, this is a really good time for Irish fans to join the Blue and Gold Nation with this coordinator search underway.
2: Oh, well, yeah, the coordinator search is obviously number one. Me, Patrick Engel... Mike Singer, our recruiting reporter. We're all working uh, night and day to to get to the bottom of that and and just have it fully covered for everyone that goes to blueandgold.com, but you got to remember that Notre Dame is also looking for a men's basketball coach, and Patrick Engel has that uh, under wraps, and Notre Dame women's basketball is making a little NCAA tournament push. They only I think it's half a dozen regular season games left, and then it's tournament time. It's postseason time, which is Obviously an awesome time to hop on the blueandgold.com bandwagon. then right after that, or, or in the middle of that, spring ball. So uh, there is no such thing as an offseason, especially at blueandgold.com. We cover Notre Dame athletics like nobody else. So go there, sign up for a subscription, only 29 99 right now. And I think that's still one heck of a deal. For everything that we provide for Notre Dame fans, it's the place to be if you're a Notre Dame fan, so get to blueandgold.com for everything that you want to know about Irish athletics.
3: Well, I talk to Tyler every Wednesday at this time, so I'm really curious to see where we are in the process of hiring a new offensive coordinator when we speak again next Wednesday at 6.05. Until then, thank you so much for your time, as always, and we'll talk to you next week. Absolutely, Darren. Thanks so much. Tonight's Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat has been brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Sports fans, this Bud's for you. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, now with three locations to serve you. Barnaby's, the family inn. By the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. Midland Engineering Company beginning their second century of quality roofing experience. By the Mishawaka Education Foundation, granting a better future. Pet Refuge urging you to adopt own shopper. New beginnings have happy endings. And our sports updates have been brought to you by Edward Jones. Making sense of investing, contact James Kittner in South Bend or Kimberly Thibodeau in South Bend. On our Midwest Family South Bend stations tonight, we have CBS Sports Radio right here on WSBT Radio coming up in a moment. On our sister station, ninety six one The Ton. We have Indiana High School boys basketball action. The Mishawaka Cabin taking on the top-ranked team in Class 3A. The Northwood Panthers, who have already wrapped up the Northern Lakes Conference Championship. Coverage begins at 7.05. And on our sister station, Quality Rock, 94.3 FM. I'll have the call of Notre Dame Hockey, the final home series of the regular season for Notre Dame. The Fighting Irish taking on the Ohio State Buckeyes. Pre-game coverage on Quality Rock 94.3 FM and the Notre Dame Radio Network begins at 7.15, opening face-off right around 7.30. Thank you so much for joining me on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. I'll be back on Monday starting at 5 on Sports Radio 960. WSBT, streaming live at wsbtradio.com, the WSBT Radio app,
0: and the free video feed on the Twitch app.